Welcome back to an extra spooky edition of the Feminist Friday podcast. If this is your first time joining us, this is a podcast where we highlight a woman throughout history and tell a little bit of their story and legacy in the feminist movement. And folks, you've picked a really good time to join us um, because today we're diving into the life of a really um, talented author who left a big mark on um, not only like literary history, but just history in general. And you probably know her for her beloved monster, but there's a lot more to her story. Um, so today we are joined by our resident history aficionado. <laughs> Do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah. Hi, my name is Rachel Carter. Uh professional history aficionado. No, I'm just kidding. I'm glad you said aficionado <laughs> and not expert because I am in no way an expert by any means. Uh, just a fan of history. Uh, I do work for the SACUS Satellite Office CASA as the Administrative Specialist for Volunteer and Prevention Services. It's a mouthful. But, um, and I, yeah, I run the Feminist Friday blog through SACUS and I just really like history, specifically women's history. Yeah. Well, we're really, really happy to have you. <laughs> Always fun to be here. Mm -hmm. And Rachel, who are we discussing today? Oh my gosh. We are discussing someone who I fell in love with. Uh, like you said, you'll recognize her famous monster creation. Or should I say, you'll recognize the scientist who created <laughs> the monster. Right. Uh, we are going to talk about Mary Shelley. Mm -hmm. And... For those who don't know, the monster we're talking about is Frankenstein. Well, Frankenstein's monster. Yeah. I'm not gonna have any anybody getting angry at me. I recognize Frankenstein's the doctor, and the monster is Frankenstein's yeah. monster. But um, this isn't a literary podcast. This is a history <laughs> podcast. So. Does the monster have a name? I never. I, I, Frank. I don't know. Oh, okay. um, <laughs> no, I don't think they ever. If they do say a name, it's like a throwaway line. Like I yeah. don't recall a name ever being given. I don't either. But um, I think Frank's as good a name as any. So. Yeah. <laughs> we'll just officially name the monster Frank. today. I guess. I love it. <laughs> okay. We're so creating history on the history podcast. Yes, absolutely. Look at us. Let's start at the beginning. So can you tell us about her early life? Yeah. So really to, to start the story, you almost have to kind of go a generation before. Um, a, a lot of people don't realize this. Um, we actually teach this a lot in our um, crisis intervention trainings in the history portion. Um, Mary Shelley's mother was a woman named Mary Wollstonecraft. And Mary Wollstonecraft wrote a book, um, or uh, more like a pamphlet. Books were <laughs> a little different back <laughs> yeah. in the day. But um, it was called A Vindication of the Rights on the Rights of Women. And this is considered one of the earliest um, modern feminist pieces of writing. Uh, Mary Wollstonecraft is a, I'd like to say very well known, but I don't think as known as I'd like her to be. Mm -hmm. She's one of the last what we would call a proto-feminist, and that is a feminist before feminism. Right. <laughs> um, and I could go on about that for hours because I love <laughs> proto-feminists. But um, I love all feminists. So Mary Wollstonecraft, she kind of, you know, was big just before what we consider the, the first wave of feminism. So that's why she's considered a proto-feminist. Yeah. But she's right there on the edge. Um, so that's Mary Shelley's mother. <laughs> so Mary Shelley was, of course, born Mary Wollstonecraft Godwin in 1797 in London. And her mother actually sadly passed away um, within the first two weeks of Mary Shelley's life. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Um, and so Mary Wollstonecraft, uh, she has Wollstonecraft Godwin. Um, her father was William Godwin. And it's really sad that she lost her mother 
so soon. You yeah. know, didn't get a chance to know her. But the cool thing is her father, William, raised her and her siblings. He even raised Fanny Imlay, who was Wollstonecraft's daughter by another man. Oh. But he raised her as his own. And he taught his children just how incredible their mother was. You know, they grew up knowing that their mother was trying to change the world. And he encouraged them to do the same, um, which... I, I always love, it's, you don't see it a lot, but I love when you read about fathers of these amazing women, you know, mm -hmm. back in this time period where women didn't get education, yep. um, these fathers encouraging these things. Um, oh. Now, unfortunately, he didn't get to send his children to school. Um, William tended to face debt and financial ruin a lot in uh, Mary's early life. Okay. He ran, uh, he opened multiple publishing houses that did not last very long, sadly. And um, so, so she didn't actually get a formal education, but he, you know, once again, he encouraged her to learn through, re he taught her how to read, how to write, things like that, and, and encouraged all of his children, uh, daughters and sons, to go out and learn things. Yeah. Um, and like I said, I just really love reading about, you know, as feminists, you know, everybody thinks, you know, you're feminist, it's only women, no men. No, like we, we, we love men too. Like, yeah. Everybody can benefit from feminism, and to have these men who society was telling them, oh, your daughters are only good to be married off and bring money and wealth into your life. You know, this guy, like I said, he was always in debt. Yeah. He was always at the, at running the risk of getting sent to debtor's prison, and he still was like, no, my kids are going to live for who they are. So I, I just, it warms my heart. Yeah. But um, he did end up remarrying. Um when Mary was about four years old to a woman named Mary Jane Claremont. And I bring this up because Mary Jane brought two children in to the marriage. Okay. Uh, they were Charles and Clara. Clara would eventually start going by Claire. Claire Claremont. <laughs> That's <laughs> what a name. She chose it. Um, but I bring that up because Mary didn't get along with her stepmother, but Mary and Claire became best friends. They were incredibly close all their lives. Yeah. Um, and having, you know, step-siblings myself, you know, we don't always get that that joy of having, you know, such a good friend come into our yeah. lives at such a young age. So, And, and again, Claire Claremont, it's just fun to say. <laughs> um, so, like I said, he encouraged them all to learn. Um, he, uh, by he, I mean Mary's father. Yeah. Um, William... He was an intellectual himself. He published some works of his own, and he was quite well known for his views. He was one of those people who was seen as very progressive. Okay. And when I say progressive in that time, that meant that they thought wealthy people should donate money for programs for disadvantaged people because oh. they were scandalous. Oh, my um, goodness. Yeah, that was, that was radical thinking oh, um, wow. back in the uh, <laughs> early 1800s. Um, but this was, he was, you know, he, William believed in this. This is, these are things he taught his children as well. Mary grew up um, espousing the same ideas. And so they would have all kinds of intellectual people coming in. People like Samuel Taylor Coleridge, Francis Place, um, William Baxter. In fact, Mary actually stayed with William Baxter in Scotland for a while and that was actually because her father wanted her to go somewhere where she would learn even more radical political thoughts. Yeah, she was going there to study. Yeah, basically. she was going there to learn how to 
be a progressive minded person and hmm. I just think that's so cool yeah and also Scotland is gorgeous yeah I, I assume I've seen pictures I've not been there <laughs> um so shout out Scotland if you ever want me to come study some history sponsor me <laughs> um, now sponsored by Scotland now sponsored by Scotland <laughs> um so so she went to William Baxter's place a couple times um first in uh 1812 and then in 1813 well in between those two times she met the love of her life oh exciting percy (laughs) shelley um and he's known as percy beach shelley um yeah i always struggle with that and every time i look up how to say his middle name i I lose it immediately so is it french is that maybe i mean french was very popular all through europe at the time yeah um, so anyway, this guy, Percy Shelley, you may recognize him as another literary figure. Um, he was also, once again, a very radical thinker. Um, his family was incredibly wealthy, and he was always getting in trouble <laughs> because he was like, we should use our money to help people. And his family was like, Why? that's dumb. Yeah. Why? Why would <laughs> Who we would do, do that? that? Yeah. This, we, we earned this money by inheriting it. How oh, dare you? Oh, of course. Um, so his family practically disowned him he wasn't full-on disowned but they he didn't get the invites to like christmas dinner and stuff so (laughs) so in between her trips to scotland mary met percy and she fell hard i mean tripped fell broke her nose uh (laughs) she was just that she fell that hard for him godwin wasn't thrilled yes godwin i i should say william William wasn't thrilled about this. That's actually because Percy promised to give William some money to help out William's failing publishing company at the time. The thing is, Percy got cut off by the family, so he couldn't give this money that was promised to William, and William was kind of sour britches over it. Mm -hmm. Um, Which, on the one hand, like, I get that. Like, you promised me money, and I'm going to lose my business. But on the other hand, it's not like he just was like, no, I changed my mind. And I mean, the reason that he was cut off in the first place was because he wanted to do things like donate money. Right. Yeah. So so it's kind of like, oh, Billy, settle down. Yeah. (laughs) But hey, um, I don't have a time machine to go back and tell him to settle. So, you know, it is what it is. But so she fell for him. And actually, it was with the help of Claire, Mary would sneak out to go see Percy. Hmm. And here's where we get our our first little spooky tidbit about uh, old Mary. Uh, Mary, a lot of times, would meet Percy at her mother's grave, which growing up, she went to her mother's grave a lot as a way to feel closer to her mother. Right. She would talk to her mother that way, you know, pretty, you know, beautiful standard stuff, though. Mm -hmm. But so she would meet Percy there because it was like a safe space to her, I would assume. And um, on, um, let me see here. I have notes with me. I'm checking. (laughs) So on uh, June of 1814, they decided to consummate their love for each other right there on Mama's grave. Oh, my goodness. So, yeah. So she's – this is why I consider – I don't know if anybody else calls her this. If I've seen it somewhere and I'm accidentally taking it for myself, I apologize. But I call Mary Shelley Queen of the Goths because I have goth friends, and I think they would be they would be very <laughs> pleased to have lost ha- – I don't want to say lost their virginity because we don't know for sure, I guess. Well, and also, you know, virginity is kind of a human concept and blah, blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Um, but um, yeah, I we don't we don't have hard evidence of this. Nobody's 
taken a soil sample to see what's in there or anything. Mm-hmm. But um, but I, it's one of those stories that people love to tell. Right. And so whether it's fact or fiction, it's legend. Right. And, and it's just, that's all that matters. It's so interesting. And like you said, it is spooky. And then it plays into the further allure of like what she does and writes later in her life. Right. Right. It's pretty wild. And um, I mean, it, in a weird, gothy way, it's romantic. You know, it, she's sharing this special moment with her mother. Ooh, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully we just not. edit that out, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, so that, like I said, that's one of those things. We don't know if it's fact or fiction, but it's legend now, and yeah. legends live forever. Right. That's <laughs> Yes. So um, about a month later, actually, that is when Mary and Percy, along with Claire, decided to run off, and they went to France. They were like, we're going to live our best lives. We're going to, we're going to like chill on the French coast. We're just going to, yeah. we're just going to espouse these radical beliefs. This is sounding good so far. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, it didn't exactly work out that way. Um, okay. See, right before uh, they decided to run off, there was a little thing called the War of 1812. Oh. Yeah. Um, and France did not have an easy time during that war. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know all the details. I, I'm not a big fan of war history specifically. Yeah. But it, it was not good. So they <laughs> decided maybe this isn't the best place for us. So they actually kept traveling and they went to Switzerland. But because of everything that had happened in France, this this war-ravaged, you know, countryside, they and, – and again, it's not like they had like, you know – Kia Sorrentos that they could rent out you know so they went by like mule by carriage sometimes just walking yeah so they get there and I just I'm not I'm terrible I'm not a walker myself (laughs) I'm not a fan of it so I just get exhausted just reading that like I'm like ugh, this is walking all the way from France to Switzerland no thanks no thanks people do that nowadays for like to raise money for charities and these guys were just like this is how we're gonna live (laughs) but hey you know they they had fun Sort of, um, except for the fact that they ended up not making it all the way to Switzerland. Well, they got into Switzerland, and then they ran out of money. Right. So (laughs) they had to go back. So by September, um, they were back in England, and that's when Mary found out she was pregnant for the first time. And Mary did not have the best of luck with pregnancies and children. Um, Mm. And it it didn't help that... So they get there, they find out she's pregnant, and they're like, all right, so they, the three of them get a place together. They're just, again, they're going to live their best lives. But Percy, since he had been financially cut off from his family, had accrued his own debts in England. Yeah. And he would actually have to leave for days at a time to dodge creditors. So I can't imagine how stressful that had to be on them just in general. And then here Mary is pregnant. Once again, we don't have the technology then that we do now. Yeah. Um, things were always really touch and go. And that's not to say that, you know, women still don't deal with a lot of issues during pregnancy and childbirth. This, at the same time, <laughs> to just kind of pile everything, Percy was actually already married at this moment. Oh, wow. Yeah. Goodness. <laughs> and um, he actually found out that his estranged wife, I guess he, they had only been estranged for less than nine months because she has a kid now. Oh. And it's his son, Charles. And again, um, like part of this was because he would have to stay with his wife uh, every so often to kind of secure his inheritance. Yeah. So, but you know, he, (laughs) 
apparently he didn't sleep on the couch. Hmm. Um, at this same time, Percy was also sleeping with Claire. Goodness. Now, I would like to interject here. Um, okay. And when you guys read the blog, this will come a little bit later, but I'll go yeah. ahead and interject here now. Percy and Mary, as well as Mary's parents, William and Mary Wollstonecraft, they were purveyors of free love. And this really surprised me because when you hear the term free love, you think hippies, you know, 1960s, yeah. you know. And I'm not saying hippies in a derogatory way. That's right. Just, I feel you know. like, though, it does have that connotation today. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. most people, you think of like Woodstock and like love beads and like yeah. peace, love and free love. And yeah, you know, you think of the 60s. And it's actually a much older concept. I didn't realize that. Um, mm-hmm. So that was interesting to me. So shout out to uh, any polyamorous folks out there. Anybody who's like, why is, why are you guys doing this stuff all of us? No, 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 no. This is an old. It's been around for a while. It's been around for a while. Yeah. So, um, yeah, once again, people are wrong. You're valid. Live your life. <laughs> um, so they believed in free love. So Mary actually knows that he's sleeping with other people. As as a matter of fact, Percy encourages her to take lovers of her own. Okay. Now, we don't have any hard evidence that Mary ever took any lovers herself. Hmm. There, there are some thoughts that, yes, she did. Um, there's some names that are thrown around. Um, then there are some, some of her kind of personal writings, you know, diary and, and letters and things like that, kind of hint that, while she she was encouraged to do this, she was so in love with Percy that she, that didn't, she want didn't want to. to. Oh, that makes sense. I don't know. I'm not looking at original sources. <laughs> I'm going off of looking at papers and stuff online. But, you know, she still, again, she knew these things were happening. And she seemed like it didn't bother. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Once again, I'm not in her head. I don't know. Yeah. But this was this was something they believed in. So it's not like he was having affairs, per se. So... So that's, I just want to get that out of the way because you're going to be hearing about other, other mistresses, mistresses and things like that. So, um, that's just, that's just how they were. Yeah. And again, no judgment here. (laughs) And really in the end, he did love Mary. Percy did love Mary. They loved each other. So, so now we're kind of getting into what I think everybody really wants to hear. (laughs) And (laughs) we're going to talk a little bit about how Mary Shelley created an entire genre of fiction in may of 1816 mary's pregnant and she's got all this stress going on but in february of 1815 she does give birth to a young uh, well, to a little baby girl i, I mean, mean technically she's, she's young, young. yeah she's to a baby young, girl a few hours <laughs> um unfortunately this baby dies within a few days and you'll find once again you'll find a theme running through this that every time mary lost a child it devastated her yeah um, she would go into Long depressions um, is it took a lot to get her out of these depressions. So Percy, you know, after this happened, Percy took her out. You know, he took her on different holidays. He he got a little bit of cash from some inheritance from a grandfather. So he takes her on some holidays, perks her back up. She gets pregnant again, and in January of 1816, she gives birth to a boy, William, who she called Will Mouse, which I think <laughs> is adorable. That's very cute. I love that. May of 1816, Mary's happy. She's living with her the love of her life. She's living with her best friend. She's got her baby. Things are great. And so they're like, let's go visit our buddy, Lord Byron. And Claire's like, yes, please, because Claire had had a bit of a dalliance with Lord Byron herself. Oh, okay. Um, free love. And see, the funny thing is, at this point, though, she doesn't know she's pregnant with Lord Byron's child. 
Claire? Claire is. Claire oh. is pregnant with Lord Byron's child. So Claire's like, let's go see Lord Byron. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a fan of his for a lot of reasons. <laughs> let's go check him out. So he's living in Geneva, Switzerland. Mm-hmm. And so she, so they're like, yeah, let's go. And like Percy, you know, he's he's a literary man himself. Lord Byron's a literary man. They're like, yeah, I want to, he's like, you know, Percy's like, I want to meet him. I want to talk about all the crazy stuff going on in the world today. I want to talk about letters and writing and all this stuff. And so they're like, yeah, let's go. So they go. It's the beginning of summer, you know, middle of spring, beginning of summer. And they're like, it, they're going to Lake Geneva. So it's like, you know, like, I think they're going to be like, we're going to go on the beach and we're yeah. going to play volleyball and work on our tans <laughs> and go swimming. No, that did not go down because between the years of 1808 and 1814, there were five volcanic eruptions within oh the European area. So due to that, probably because of like all the crud right, coming up and everything. A lot of crazy weather probably yes, too. Yeah. The summer of 1816 is now known as... The year without a summer, oh. and it, it is the bummer coldest, for them. It is one of the coldest summers in history on record. Um, it was rainy. It was gross. It was it was awful. So they're pretty much stuck inside. Yeah. No, I mean he's got like a friggin' like manor castle type <laughs> thing. So it's not like they were hurting. You mm-hmm. know, <laughs> things were fine. But basically, they were kind of stuck indoors all the time. So one night. They're just sitting around, they're bored, they're hanging out, whatever, and um, Lord Byron is like, let's have a scary story contest. And and they're like, yeah, that's dope. And and I get it, you're in a crazy drafty castle. Um, yeah. it's It was probably nighttime, because it's always nighttime in those stories. Yes. And so they're like, yeah, sure. So once again, Percy and Lord Byron are published authors at this point, and Mary is wanting to be a writer. So... She's really nervous. Yeah. She's like, crap, um, what am I going to do here? So they take turns, and um, Percy, his is very, like, poetic and kind of lyrical and, and very nice, but... That's not spooky. That's not right. scary. It's not really spooky. Yeah. There's, like, there's like uh, comparisons to, like, the fears we have in childhood, and it, uh, I'm sure it's great, and- but, <laughs> but, yeah, like, it's like, ooh, I'm not scared at all. Um, so then Lord Byron, he actually tells a story of a vampire, which, fun fact, um, not only was it Lord Byron, Lord Shelley, um, Mary, and Claire, but uh, Lord Byron's personal physician was there as well. And Lord Byron's physician would actually write down this story hmm. that Lord Byron tells and publish it, and it's called The Vampire, and it is one of the inspirations for Dracula. Wow. Yeah, that and we had a few monsters that night. <laughs> yeah. So so it's kind of cool how that worked out, but so and then Claire there's not a lot written about Claire's story. So I it, I don't know, it may not have been I might have liked it. I don't know. But yeah. <laughs> um so Mary hears this stuff and and is like I got to bring it. Like yeah. I can't I, I can't just throw out some crap and, yeah. and, and hope it stands up. So she actually takes a few extra days. She's like, give me a minute, y'all. Well, one of the things, um, like I said, getting together, Percy, Shelley, Claire, Mary, all of these guys, they're talking about the things, you know, the current topics of the day. And one of the big topics of that day was galvanism, which at the time people believed might be used to reanimate the dead. And okay. I looked a little bit into galvanism, and it's like it's like... <laughs> Alchemy meets electricity. 
Oh. Yeah, it's kind of weird. It's interesting, and it would be cool to read more about it. I don't think it's one – I think it's one of those things that, like – People were like, this is going to change the world. And then they're like, oh, wait, this is not doesn't work. Yeah, <laughs> not real. But so so Mary's hanging out and she's hearing uh, Byron and Percy talk about galvanism. And she's like, idea. And so the ne- that night she's like, OK, I've got my story. And she tells a, kind of a bare bones, pared down version of what we know as Frankenstein. And everybody loses their minds. Big hit. <laughs> oh my, the, like Byron and Percy are like, you got to write this down. Yeah. You got to publish this. This needs to go out. This is incredible. By the way, she was 18 years old yeah. at this moment. So um, a teenager created an entire literary genre. So was the genre she created like horror or science fiction science fiction okay it is one of the earliest examples of modern science fiction there are some older novels that could be said to have like elements elements but they're not not quite you know considered that she is the one to really have started modern science fiction gothic horror was actually a pretty big thing and that's why there are gothic horror elements in the novel because gothic horror was a really you know, it was a, a really burgeoning genre at that time as well. And luckily, it's still around today because I love a good gothic horror. <laughs> but um, <laughs> those who know me will say, you will read anything. And that's the truth. Um, I've, I've been known to get bored and read people's grocery lists because <laughs> I just like to read. So it takes uh, Mary a couple years to end up finishing Frankenstein. But I would like to bring up something else I found in my little bit of research that I did. Okay. So in that two years, you know, again, Percy is a published author. Right. Um, he's more poetry and things like that, essays. But he is published. And so, of course, he knows a thing or two about writing, about publishing, that sort of thing, editing. Mm-hmm. Um, so he did help her a little bit. But there's actually a bit of an argument among scholars as to how much he helped her. Some say that the book should be considered co-written by okay. Mary Shelley and Percy Technically, she was still Mary Wollstonecraft Godwin at the time. Yeah. But some people say they should be counted as co-authors. Some people say he wasn't much more than a line editor, you know, just kind of cleaning things up, cleaning up the language, the grammar, that sort of thing. Once again, I did not look at, you know, original sources. I didn't go to any, like, archives and dig into Mary's, you know, personal writings. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think our budget will cover that. Probably not. Um, (laughs) Once again, Scotland, if you'd like to sponsor me, I know you have nothing to do with this, but <laughs> sponsors. <laughs> but yeah, so so I, I can't speak to that. I don't know how much she wrote. Coming from the feminist angle, I do know how easy and often women are written out of history, whether yeah. it's literary history or any other kind. Yeah. So it's hard for me to be completely unbiased here. So, but I do want to say, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I personally, I like to live my life thinking that Mary wrote the bulk of it. Right. Majority. At um, least. The other, the other reason some people wonder is because when she published it, she published it anonymously hmm. and Percy wrote the foreword to the book. And so everybody just assumed he wrote right. it. Um, now, again, we do know that she was involved in the writing. Hmm. We know she made up the story. How much Percy helped her? I don't know. Like I said, I'm going to live my life happy, assuming that she wrote most of it. I think (laughs) that's totally fine. And do you know why she 
first published it um, anonymously. Ah, that's that's one time where my feminism isn't clouding my judgment. <laughs> Part of it was her name being a female, being a woman. Yeah, um, people would have known Mary. Yeah, that's kind of a dead giveaway. Yeah, and um, and a lot of times authors would use um, pseudonyms. Mm-hmm. I think that's the right word. They would, you know, they'd use a different name. There were plenty of women who were published who would publish under a man's name. But for whatever reason, she just didn't choose a name at all. Hmm. I don't know. At the, you know, Queen of the Goths, she was probably being mysterious. Like, yeah, maybe that's she what should have say. published under that. Yeah, just Goth Queen. <laughs> yes. People have been like, okay, this, okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably good, you guys. Right. Also, I don't know if this is, I tried to look into it a little bit um, before today, mm-hmm. but... I know um, that the castle that they were supposedly in is Castle de Chillon mm-hmm. in uh, Switzerland on Lake Geneva. And I've actually been to this castle and oh, toured gosh. it. Um, so that was really exciting for me um, because it is like a spooky, airy I place. Was ask if it was really spooky. And especially, it sits right on the water, kind of like on a little alcove. Oh. The lake, Geneva, is known for being like foggy and misty. Really? And it's actually the same lake that, um, oh my gosh, you're going to have to remind me of the who wrote Smoke on the Water. Oh, sorry about my phone. You're okay. Uh, the song Smoke on the Water? Yeah. Oh, I'm blanking. Was it? I know it was. Is, okay. I don't want to be dumb. We are going to look this was up. It, we have to know because ZZ I top? can't remember. No, it wasn't ZZ Top. I know that. Was it Smoke on the Water? It wasn't Cream, was it? No. Uh, it wasn't Deep cream. Purple? Deep Purple. Deep Purple. It's been a long time yeah. since I played that on Guitar Hero, but they, so I forgot. They wrote it about that lake. Really? Mm-hmm. Um, I think they were there with like. Jimi Hendrix um and something caught fire and then it was like smoke filled the air and it went over the water and it it was already like really really foggy because and when I was there that lake it it was really foggy and like just misty rainy too it's up in the mountains oh so but there is um like down in the not the basement the American version of what, (laughs) what would be a basement um it was like down in basically like the prison part of it like oh. where they would keep prisoners like, like your, your dungeon type yes thing? your Ooh. dungeon type Yikes. thing um it was in one of the rocks in the walls lord byron had uh carved his name in really yeah oh cool and that castle is supposedly inspired a lot of his writing i would as imagine well. i would imagine um, i'm inspired just hearing the description of it yeah so. <laughs> but i found a few things i found one thing that said that they were in that castle when they told the stories but mm-hmm. then another thing said that they were staying at another like summer home yeah where you could see the castle across i the could I, I read that too like they they weren't 100 percent sure where yeah um, once again i feel like it does it really matter at this point? No, like, but it would just be cool if I'd is, been there. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to say you were there. Like, okay. even if it was written about that castle, like, if yeah. that's, that was still the inspiration. Mm-hmm. It's a spooky castle, but it's super cool. I, it's going there is now on my bucket list hearing about it because it sounds really spooky. And I mean, who hasn't ever wanted to just retire to a castle in the mountains? Mm-hmm. And right on the water. Like, now I feel really bad that they didn't get a, like, a summer. Like, yes, we probably wouldn't have gotten like a world changing novel mm-hmm. but like like they deserved a nice summer you gosh know. always running from creditors and stuff like that <laughs> like couldn't they just she had the baby mom deserves some time on the beach but oh well yeah again you know it did you know it did kind of change literature for 
yeah. in all time. So and it's a beautiful place. They were with people they loved. I'm sure they had a good time. Yeah, yeah. I would imagine some of that free love was uh, was spread around there. So I'm sure everybody <laughs> had a blast. <laughs> I bet they did. I mean. <laughs> so they get back to England. They 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 spend the summer there. It's still 1816, but it's later in the year. They come back to England, and some pretty rough things happen, kind of one after the other. Um, So I told you earlier that Mary had an older half-sister, Fanny Imlay, and she suffered from really bad depression, um, Mm -hmm. and she ended up taking her own life in October of that year. And again, Mary was very close with this sister, um, uh, really other than her stepmom and then her father when she got with Percy. um, She was very close with all her family, even her step-siblings. So, so this was really, really hard on her. And then right after that, in December, Percy's estranged wife that I told you about. Harriet. Her name was Harriet. Yes. Yeah. Harriet drowned. And yeah. what I saw, I don't think it was, I really, like it wasn't murder or anything. Uh, yeah. Percy didn't like put out a hit on say, his wife. I, but it, there really, I couldn't find anything that conclusively said if it was an accident or a suicide. Right. Okay, so... I did some a little bit of research on this, and we don't have to stay on this too long since this is not a podcast about Harriet. <laughs> um, but I was when I just saw that you had put in the notes Harriet drawn. I was like, mm, fishy. I I want right. to know more about that. And so what I found as far as information about her death mm-hmm. was really really weird because first of all, prior to that she had gotten a place under a different name. Really? Mm-hmm. She did not oh. use her her married name. It was a name that wasn't hers. And then she was missing for six months. Or no, six weeks. Six weeks. What? Yeah, she was missing for six weeks. No one knew where she was. And then her body was found like a man was just walking to work really early in the morning and saw her body floating in the river. And when they fished her out, she was in an advanced stage of pregnancy. Whoa. So she was very pregnant. So- and... They didn't do any sort of like investigation into what happened to her. And this is there's one newspaper article reporting what happened. And the newspaper says I'm going to read a quote from it. Oh, good. That it was a want of honor in her own conduct is supposed to have led to this fatal catastrophe. Maybe you can help me out a little bit. But to me, that kind of sounds like they're implying that she killed herself because she was pregnant with maybe another man's baby. A man who wasn't her husband. A man who was that's, married. That's how it's read. And that's so it's how like I hear it. Yeah. For the honor part yeah. of it, she either committed suicide or, like you said, my, my mind went to maybe this other guy I mean, pushed her in the river it feels like somebody took a hit out on poor harriet i know um, i i'm glad you did this because i didn't look super heavy into it because you know i was focusing on mary right but i thought that was so crazy y'all so y'all out there who like to solve cold cases yeah like here you go here's mm-hmm. one for you yeah but no her <laughs> death is just still a mystery That's they never know all right. Well, I guess we can get back to Mary's story now. It's yeah, just a sidetrack. Yeah. No, yeah. like, but yeah, no. But I think you're asking the right questions here. Mm-hmm. So, so you know, they get back. It's the end of 1816. They have these two tragedies, one possible hit job. Um, <laughs> so, so of course, Harriet's got uh, a couple kids with Percy, and Percy and Mary are like, you know, they're they're Percy's kids. We want them here. Yeah. They actually have a custody battle to get these children, hmm. and their lawyer tells them. 
you know, it's going to look a lot better if you two get hitched. Yeah. So they do. Look stable. Right. Especially with the culture at the time. Right. You know, show that these kids are going to have a mother and a father in their life and a good upbringing and blah, blah, Mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. Um, So, but on the plus side to this marriage as well, because they get married, um, they actually get married December 30th of 1816. So right at the end. Yeah. Um, One good thing that also comes from this is... uh, Mary's father comes back into the picture. Like that's good. Yeah, kind of like, approves a bit. Yeah, now yeah. That they're married. Like, yeah, and and I kind of I I when I read that I kind of started think because at first I'm like oh you, you're friends with Percy but she can't be with him and you you claim to support free love and blah 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 but you know reading about it when they get back together you know when he comes back into her life it's like. I tried to look at it from his viewpoint and it's like, that's my daughter. Yeah. And at the time when they ran away together, you know, she was like 16. Yeah. Which, you know, they didn't exactly have the same laws we do now, but. I know. How old was Percy? Was he like. Percy was. Like um, 20s? He was in his 20s. I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, he was a, a fair amount older than her. Yeah. And, um. And again, he was married. That and see, you know, like I think about that, and I'm like, if I'd have been her her parent, I'd be like, he's married, right? Don't run away. He's with an him. adult married, adult man. married man with children. Just no. Yeah. So like, I, I I get it. I mm-hmm. get why he was upset. But I love that he comes back into her life um, because, you know, she loved her father. Like I said before, she ran away with Percy. She was very close with her father. So I'm I'm a big fan of. When families heal, you know, when, you know, I, I don't support people having to be around family that's toxic or anything like that. But when the families heal and come back together, that's a beautiful that is thing. Good. I love mm-hmm. it. Um, I'm also very close with my parents. So it just it I'm like, I want everybody to have a mommy and a daddy that they love or two mommies <laughs> or two daddies or whatever your family looks like. Um, so so, you know, I like that. But unfortunately, the marriage didn't help the custody case and Percy's okay. children were sent to live with another part of his fam- with uh, another family that was part of his family. I think they were his cousins. Is that common of at the time or um, do you think it was just because of their like debts and well, money? That really that would probably have something to do with it. Yeah. <laughs> but part of it too is people did send their I mean like I said when Mary was a teenager, she was sent to Scotland for months at a time to live mm-hmm. with a family. Um sometimes people did that because like you said the, the their family has debts. But they need their children, you know, taken care of. Yeah. Sometimes it's just, you know, you're going to go live over here for a while and learn how things. And that's really, that's a tradition that's been going on a long time. You know, uh, I love reading about the Henry VIII's different wives. And um, like Anne Boleyn spent years in France learning from French court, from the French court to, yeah. to be fancy schmancy. So this, it is, I don't know how common it was. And it was probably more common amongst the aristocracy. But um, it, it wasn't unheard of yeah. by any means. Um, sometimes, like, you know, you read in a lot of these old novels and stuff, like, dad's single, mom died, he sends the kids off because he doesn't know how to take care of them. Because, mm-hmm. you know, but I mean, you, know, you can't figure it out, I right. guess. And Mary was there, yeah. too, to help. Right. So, so, you know, they tried, but unfortunately, his children Didn't were happen. sent to live with another family. Um, but they were married now. They did still have little Will Mouse with them. Um, and at the beginning of 1817, Mary publishes or finishes Frankenstein. Uh, she doesn't publish it until 1818, but she finishes Frankenstein. Um, they actually also wrote another book 
uh, called History of a Six Weeks Tour. And this is from, you remember when I said in 1814 they were traveling through France and stuff? Yes. This is their writings from those travels. And oh, that's why okay. we know so much about yeah, it. Yeah, well, that's good. Um, they actually ended up publishing a couple of uh, books about their travels. So, And they're all called like tours, you know, six weeks <laughs> tour or whatever. Really creative so, titles. I mean, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. they they were busy using their genius on other things, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but um, so they also published that. Mary got pregnant again, gave birth to a little baby girl, named her Clara, after Claire. But, you know, once again, they're in England. Percy's got these debts. He's got these creditors after him. And so he has to keep leaving home. Mm-hmm. So beginning of 1818, they're like, we're done. We're over it. By this point, Clara's had her child that she was pregnant with from more Byron. Percy, Shelley, the kids, Claire, her daughter, they're like, we're done. Let's get out of here. And they decide to leave for Italy. Mm-hmm. And they are like, we're never coming back to England. We're done. We're tired of people coming after us for our money. We don't have any money. Back off. Because, um, you know, I think when people think of some of these authors, you know, like, and Percy coming from a wealthy family, people like, oh, well, authors must have made bank back in the day. Right. No. No, most authors don't make bank today. That's true. It's, it's rare to have your your Stephen Kings and your Dean Kuntzes and your she who will not be named. Um, <laughs> um, so so they leave for Italy. Um, they don't actually have a place for a while. They just kind of travel and stay with friends, which that's actually surprisingly common as well back in the day. Um, which I'm, I love that idea <laughs> personally. Nomadic lifestyle. Yeah, it's kind of neat. But at the same time, I also like stability and structure. So it would also drive me crazy. <laughs> um, also, I got to have a guarantee that I got good water pressure in the shower. Yeah. That's like a thing for me. I'm sure they were worried about that. I'm sure they were because <laughs> I, think, I think showers were a huge thing back then. Water pressure especially. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But um, it wasn't really a great time yeah. all the time. Um, so as... Almost like right after they arrived, um, Mary's baby girl, Clara, got dysentery and passed away, um, which again led Mary into a really deep depression. Mm-hmm. But this time it actually really fueled her writing, and she wrote several novels, um, Matilda, Valperga, um, the plays Por- Pors- I always screw this up, Proserpine, Pro- <laughs> Proserpine and Midas. Proserpine. Yeah. Interesting. And it's tough to say. And I looked up what it was, and I'm, I'm going to be honest. I don't remember what it is now. Is Matilda, is that the? Not the Matilda we know. I was going to say, because yeah. that was wrong. Ro- that was Roald Dahl. Roald Dahl. Roald Dahl. I always want to call him Ronald. Sorry, no. Roald. <laughs> so, and sadly, um, another reason why she was depressed is Percy really didn't seem to have a lot of time for her. Um, he, again, free love. And, it, and I don't think she was necessarily mad that he was with other women. There were a few ladies. Um, and, and again, I don't think she was mad that he was sleeping with other women. She actually became very close with one of the women, Jane Williams. Mm-hmm. And I'll mention her again in a little bit. Okay. Because uh, um, her name comes up a bit. So, so she wasn't really mad about that. It's just he was out all the time with these women. He wasn't right. paying her any, any attention. And she had just gone through this traumatic experience of losing her child. Right. She just needed someone to she be there She needed for. someone there. Yeah. And, um, and, and I would also imagine Percy was hurt too. And that may have been his way of grieving mm-hmm. was to not think about it. 
Because yeah. I, I know people like that. So I, I try – I'm a little biased against Percy just because of this. Like, I'm like, be there for He's your He's not wife. acting so great. But I have to mm-hmm. also re- recognize that people grieve in different ways. So – Y'all, you're here with me. I'm learning. I'm growing right here on the podcast. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> that's what we do here at Seika. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, so you know he's doing all this stuff, and and she's just really upset. But then in 1819, she's pregnant again, and and I got I got to be honest, folks. I I, I live child free. Um, nothing against kids. Nothing against parents. It's not my thing. But like every time I read it, every pregnant time I again. read about her getting yeah. pregnant, I'm like, oh my oh gosh, Mary. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, that's and that's you know my what is bias this? is this five. <laughs> yes. I've been trying to keep count. four or five. I can't remember yeah. now, but yeah, um, that's a lot. Especially and, and remember, out of all of these, right now all she has is Will Mouse, mm-hmm. and I will forever call him Will Mouse. And when you read the blog, it always says Will Mouse when I'm <laughs> discussing him. Oh, and speaking of which, uh, poor Will Mouse. Um, so Mary finds out she's pregnant again in nineteen in eighteen nineteen, mm-hmm. and so that really that started right, to bring her, her out of the depression. Mm-hmm. But then in June, poor Will Mouse passes from malaria, and goodness, and she was just she was going to sink again. And yeah, to to lose two children so close to each other, and that she may not have been able to come back. Right. I mean, and that means that was all of her children correct like yeah yeah she was like i said she no, found out she was pregnant anymore. but as far as already birthed children they were gone now wow i would believe that you know after that happening it, it would have i don't know if she could have come back for it but luckily you know she started to sink again she started getting into that that depression but then in november her son was born Percy Florence, and he will actually be the only surviving child of hers. Well, my goodness, I'm glad one made it. Yes. Um, so so she has Percy. Of course, she names him Percy after mm-hmm. his pop-up. He's Percy Florence, um, which I just, I love those two names together. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I, I really like it. that too. Um, so, so it really picks her back up again, and she's happy. So in 1822, she's pregnant again, and Mary and Percy and Claire and their friends, Edward and Jane Williams, Oh, yeah, that Jane Williams that Percy's okay. loving it up with, yeah. she's married to this guy, Edward. Okay. And I we don't know if he's okay with this. Or... I mean, he's buddies with Percy. Yeah. I could imagine Percy being like, hey, I'm I'm doing this with, with Jane. Mary, why don't you hook up with Edward? Maybe yeah. they did. We don't um, know. But it's, it's yeah, I I don't know. It, feel, it feels very messy to me, but mm-hmm. I'm, I can hardly remember names as it is. I couldn't. Yeah. I couldn't do this. I mean, I will say though that the same stuff happens today. Well, that's it true. really does. That's true. Mm-hmm. And again, I and, and I, I don't want anybody to think I'm invalidating any kind of relationship style. If if yeah. y'all are happy with it, if everyone's consensual, I was gonna say I think that's yeah. the key. If that's everyone key. is if everyone willing is and okay with, then what's I'm going down on. with it. You know, mm-hmm. I, I know multiple polyamorous people. They are happy in their relationships, and that's awesome. So I just want to make that clear. <laughs> So, um, so they, in 1822, this whole group of people moved to this Villa Magni and and it's a remote kind of place in Italy and apparently it's dank, it's dark, it's gross, it's nasty and Mary was miserable. Yeah. And she actually miscarries this child again. Oh my goodness. Not again, but she miscarries this child. This time though, it's the worst out of all of them in the sense of she almost died. Um, she lost a lot of blood and Percy actually um, had some really quick thinking yeah. and he puts her in an ice bath 
And the doctor told them that if he had not done that, she would have died. So Percy saves her life. Um, But that makes this next part even harder to say. Um, So Percy and Edward, they had this sailboat built for them. And they were stoked. They were like, we're going to sail everywhere. And so in July of 1822, and uh, this is a month after Wilmouse has passed. Um, This is very soon after she almost died from a miscarriage. Percy, Edward, and they hire a young man to help them take care of the boat. They sail down the coast of the Italian coast to Livorno. And I'm probably butchering that. And I apologize to (laughs) any Italians out there. Um, So they're going there. They're going to meet up with some friends. Lord Byron's there. So they're going to hang out. They're going to have some good times, have some drinks, whatever. And on July 8th, they're like, okay, well, we're going to go home. You know, and everybody's like, all right, awesome. Have fun. Bye. They were never seen alive again. Goodness. Um, they, there was a storm, and it hit their boat. And the only way Mary found out something happened is um, not too long before Percy was expected home, she gets a letter from some of those friends who were in Livorno, and they said, hey, we just want to make sure you made it home, Percy and Edward, because there was, we heard there was a bad storm, and we just want to make sure you're okay. And Mary was like, oh, crap, something's up. Yeah. What's happened? And it was uh, a few days after she received that letter that Percy, Edward, and the young man, whose name was Charles, that they hired, their bodies washed on shore. And it just breaks my heart that he had done this for me. He'd saved her life, and then she loses him. So quickly, too. Yeah. And after she's already experienced so much so loss. Much loss. So much loss. And it just, oh, I, I cried writing that, yeah. writing about that when I was writing it up for the blog. I was just, I was crying. It was terrible. So here is actually where one of those things that it's like, is it fact? Is it fiction? It doesn't matter. It's legend mm-hmm. arises. Um, you see, they say that well, no, they don't say this was proven. Um, Percy and Edward were cremated. And again, this okay. is the Edward Williams who's mar- who was married to Jane Williams. Yes. So they were cremated. When they cremated them, when they burned those bodies, for some reason, Percy's heart didn't burn. And okay. so, <laughs> so a friend of theirs, Lee Hunt, he takes this heart and he keeps it for a little bit for because, you know, reason. when your friend dies, you're like, I'm going to yeah. take your calcified heart. <laughs> it didn't burn, so it's probably meant for me. Right. Um, but eventually, eventually he does end up giving this to Mary. And, it, and, it, and it, like I said, it's calcified now. And so she keeps it, and she actually wraps it up in one of Percy's last poems called Adonis, an Elegy on the Death of John Keats. And I actually read the poem. Huh. I was curious. Yeah. I, don't, I, I don't know why, like, but something in my head said, you should probably read that poem. Right. And it's really strange because um, it's, it's just, a, I don't know if it's coincidence or just the universe being like, hey, <laughs> I'm, I'm funny. Adonis is about death and loss and losing love, losing the people you love, losing the things you love, that sort of thing. And it just feels very on the nose yeah, that she so keeps poetic. his heart in there. Yeah. Um, so, and actually nobody other than Lee Hunt who gave her this heart, nobody knew about it. And um, the legend goes that after she passes, her son and his wife are going through her things and they find it in her desk. Huh. Uh, once again, there's no heart evidence. Right. It's not like that calcified heart is sitting in a museum now. Yeah. If it is, 
it's hidden somewhere. <laughs> They're not putting that out in the public. Yeah. But, um, you know, again, is it fact? Is it fiction? Who cares? It's legend. And legends live forever. Yeah. So Mary's just lost the love of her life. She's got this this little tiny boy, this baby boy. And she she has to support him. You know, her again, her father, he's not super wealthy. She can't rely on money. So she has to be kind of the supporter. And um, so she, even though she was like, I'm, I'm never going to go back to England, um, she does go to Genoa for a year, and Lord Byron is living there, and she stays with him for about a year, and like transcribes some some poems and stories and stuff for him. But by 1823, she's back home in England, um, and and I can't say I blame her. Right now, interestingly enough, um, I kind of lost the thread of where Claire Claremont goes from here. Hmm. Um, so so that's I just I just it just hmm. struck me. I was like, where'd Claire go? And again, I probably could have done a dive into that but I was like I, I should focus on Mary right <laughs> so she's back home 1823 and when she gets back her father-in-law uh Percy's father whose name escapes me because he seemed like a jerk and I didn't write it down because <laughs> I don't care about him um he actually tries to take her boy Percy from her Percy oh my Florence goodness um he's like give me this kid you can't raise him you're just oh some poor gosh. single lady and she was like, mm, no, this is my kid. You need to back right. up. So he, she's able to talk him into sending them an allowance. It's not a big that's, allowance. Well, that's nice, though. You think yeah. you're going to have to give up your kid, but instead you just get money. Yeah. yeah. And I would imagine she probably used that whole, like, like he. I'm sure it was like, give me the kid or you get nothing. And, well, I'm going to keep the kid, but don't you want him to be taken care of? Yeah. Smart. That's what I do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But so he, it's not a huge allowance, but it's there. So she spends kind of the, a few years, she really focuses more on getting Percy's work published because he had a lot of stuff that he hadn't published yet. And so she really, for a good chunk of her time, she's really focused on that. But she does eventually get back into writing her own original stuff. Um, I'm going to take a little break from that, though, to address something that I was so pleasantly surprised to find okay um so this there are some really interesting things about mary's post percy life as i as i think of it so in 1824 she actually moved she was still in england but she moved to be closer to jane williams huh as we as we discussed earlier a a former fling of percy's yeah um, there are letters between the two of them that read a heck of a lot like love letters. Hmm. And some people speculate that Mary had romantic feelings for Jane. Mm -hmm. There are things she wrote. There are other instances where you kind of get this feeling that she is not just solely sexually and romantically attracted to men. Yeah. Um, and and I, I, if I had more time, if I had a lot of resources, I would have... I would have really dove into that, but, um, you know, limited time, limited budget, that sort of thing. Yeah. But, uh, once again, I, I want to point this out because in history, not only are, not only are women, uh, are our histories overshadowed or erased. Um, if you're a, a person or woman of color, they're erased even more. And mm -hmm. if you're a queer person, that is always, you know, yeah. I, I always hate those narratives of like, these two guys in history, they were best friends and they lived together and they would take baths together, but they were just buddies. Right. It's like, oh my God, you guys. So once again, not super hard evidence that I found, but still very, uh, 
still very interesting, you know. Mm -hmm. So she, you know, maybe a little bit of uh, a little bit of queerness in there. And you know, once again, I just want to highlight that because it needs. I feel like it needs to be. And we're talking about her, so I'm going to talk about her. <laughs> My favorite thing, though, that I read was in 1827. Mary actually played a part in a scheme. She was scheming. Um, she actually helped a couple friends of hers escape England to France. Oh. And the reason she helped them escape is because their names were Isabel Robinson and Mary Diana Dodds, who actually wrote under the pseudonym David Lindsay at that time. And in their private life, and there's a reason I say there, and it's not because there's two of them, in their private life, they actually went under the name Walter Sholto Douglas. Hmm. I actually didn't, wasn't able to find a ton about Walter, um, so I am the reason I'm saying there, the reason I'm saying Walter for this person is because they may have been a trans man. Okay. I could not find anything saying yes or no. I if this is how if it this probably is how wouldn't they have referred to them as a trans man even back right, then though in, right. in whatever historical things we have. But if this mm -hmm. is how they wanted to be addressed, then yeah. I don't care if they've been dead and gone for a hundred years. Um, yeah. I'm gonna call them Walter. <laughs> But um, so these two fell in love. And of course, even though Walter was biologically female um, and couldn't necessarily present all the time as Walter, um, they, they couldn't get together. They oh. were two women. Yeah. And it was not legal. I mean, homosexuality was illegal in England for way too long. Well, everywhere for way too long. That's true. Um, so... I will say this, I do, I'm going to tell you all listeners right now, there will come a, a Feminist Friday blog post on Walter. Just, oh, it's, well, it's, I'm I want to learn That's more about be them. exciting. Yeah. I want to learn more about them. So you're going to learn more about them. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but unfortunately, we're not there yet. But anyway, Mary played a scheme played a part she helped them get fake passports hmm. she helped them get passage to France wow. she would go visit them in France and I think that falls under her radical belief of free love and um, and probably a lot of other <laughs> things that she actually also um, speaking of radical belief she spent a lot of her time post Percy um, she didn't make a lot of money. She was never a wealthy woman after being with Percy. Well, even when with Percy, she wasn't a wealthy woman. But she would use her money, her time, her not aristocratic, but, you know, kind of more middle class. She would use her privilege. Mm -hmm. There we go. Yeah. She would use her privilege to help people, to, to help women. Um, well, there's one woman, uh, Georgina Paul. She was forced out of her home by her husband. He said she was cheating on him. And back in the day, whether you were or not, if your husband said you were, yeah, you especially no in England. Yeah. England, hmm, mm, they, they don't have the best track record. They for don't that. have the best track record. Um, but so Mary actually gave this woman a place to stay, gave her a home. She was really big into helping women who society deemed as bad or immoral or mm -hmm. evil. So I really love the fact, like, you may have thought, like, when I'm talking about Mary, when you read the blog post, you're like, so so you just really like her because she's an author. Like, okay, settle down. We get it. You studied library science. <laughs> um, but no, she was a feminist. Yeah. She was. She lived it. Yeah, she mm -hmm. lived it. She she did the work. She went out there. She helped when she could. She educated herself at a time when she should not have been educating herself. 
Um, so she and 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 there's a lot of like literary feminist feminist literary criticism that goes on about like Frankenstein and her writing. And I didn't get into that because this isn't a literature post, and I didn't study literature. So, um, but I just wanted to highlight that like not only did she invent modern science fiction, but she also she yeah. she went out there and did the work. Um, so so yeah, so her post Percy life was was very interesting. Um, she actually never remarried. Um, she actually had numerous offers of marriage, including uh, an American actor hmm. who was like, hey, and he actually helped her um, help Walter and Isabel escape from England. Oh. Um, and she actually, uh, I feel so bad for this poor guy. He proposes to Mary and she says, I've already been married to a genius. I don't think I could be married oh. to someone who's not a genius. Oh my goodness. And I got to give the dude credit. He stayed her friend. That's nice of him. That is very nice because I was like, that's a little, that's a little cold-blooded Mary. <laughs> Dang. Dang. But I guess, you know, she's a woman who knows what she wants. That's true, too. Like, no hate, but that was cold. <laughs> so, like I said, she never remarried. She just lived with her son. Um, he, in fact, she sent her son to public school against her father-in-law's wishes because Percy had always insisted that when their children came of age to go to school, he wanted them to go to public school because he was like, you know, what what's so bad about public school? Right. You know, it just kind honoring of fell in his line. wishes. Yeah. yeah. So she she honored his wishes. She sent him to public school, and then um, in 1840, her father-in-law passed away, and and I didn't. There was a lot of talk about how the inheritance worked, and I didn't. I didn't really understand it because yeah, it we was don't need really to get into boring. legal things, but. Long story short, Percy Florence is actually able to claim the inheritance that he was due. Good. So they moved to Field Place in Sussex, and they had financial freedom, and things were just going pretty good. Percy goes to um, he goes to college. He doesn't show the same kind of genius his mother and his father did, but he does well. He gets married. Uh, to a young a young woman named Jane Gibson St. John, and Mary became very close with, with Jane. So they just kind of lived happily ever after. Good. And um, when she passed away on February 1st, Mary, um, at the age of 53, they say it was probably a brain tumor. When she passed away, um, it was in her home with her family that she loved. Her, her son and daughter had, a daughter-in-law had some kids, so she had grandbabies. And it was just really, really, you know, nice. It was a nice, happy ending for her. And it was a year after she passed that it is said that Percy Florence and Jane found Percy, Fire, uh, Percy Shelley's heart yeah. wrapped in Adonis, as well as locks of hair from the heads of all of Mary's deceased children. Oh. Because she was goth to the end, baby. Oh, my. That's yeah. a great way to end it. Yes. <laughs> um. And, and you'll read this in my conclusion paragraph in the blog, but um, when I picked Mary Shelley, I was specifically thinking about Frankenstein. I was specifically thinking about spooky season stuff. And, um, you know, she lost her virginity on a, on a grave, grave site and blah, blah, blah. And I now coming out of it, I was like, this woman led a, an incredible, sometimes tragic, adventure-filled life. And... 
it just completely changed my 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 thought my thinking about her and um i really hope that when people read this when they hear this podcast that they they realize that mary shelley and i'm and i and i'm very big on people not being one-dimensional don't look at yourself in a way that's one-dimensional you know i I really hope that people see that she was a three-dimensional person she had so much going on you know i hope we all come away from this with a newfound respect for an incredible woman who was an icon who was a scholar a writer a feminist possibly a queer icon yeah um you know i hope when you guys listen to this that it really changes your thinking of who mary shelley is for the better and is a good reminder that we are all so many things mm-hmm. um not just spooky writers or anything yeah. we're all we have, we're, a we're all person different yeah mm-hmm. So I don't know. I feel after telling her story, it's really hard to conclude things because it just no words. Words just feel lame. So thank you, Alyssa, so much for having me. Thank you for thank you to the listeners for listening to me go on and on and on for <laughs> three days. We appreciate your <laughs> thorough research, though. Yes. And um, and yeah, just keep listening to the podcast. Uh, I'll be back next quarter. Don't know who with yet. And uh, the blog itself will be, the link will be posted below. Absolutely. I publish every, every month on the second Friday of the month. So mm-hmm. check it out. Leave comments. Tell me what you think. And I will talk to you next time. Thank you so much, Rachel. 